fantastic. Right. Well, uh, hopefully you've got a uh, worksheet and you've got the passage on the back of your service sheet and hopefully a pen of some kind and we'll be ready to just look at those, that passage in a bit more detail. Hannah's given us a, fan, or Creator Collins, I should say, given a fantastic uh, introduction already. But let's just uh, look a little bit further at these things together. Let's pray. Lord, would you fill our hearts with just how deeply you love your church? And may that encourage us to be your church here at St. Mary's, and may it encourage us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is uh, sort of marriage weekend here at uh, St. Mary's. We've got some flowers left from uh, yesterday from George and Cherry's uh, wedding blessing. We've got uh, another wedding tomorrow. Uh, Kate Bauer's son uh, James and Kirsten getting married. Uh, so it's very appropriate that we're thinking about this theme of marriage. Before the service, I was asking uh, uh, some husbands if they could describe uh, their wedding dresses, uh, their, their wife's wedding dresses uh, from a few years back. And um, uh, a number of them were able to say, well, it was white <laughs> and frilly, but that's as far as it uh, got. On uh, your sheets, I've got a picture. We're going to look at the bride the bridegroom and the wedding. So in that first box, you might just like to start drawing what you would think would be a great wedding dress. And uh, we'll look at some uh, other samples in, in due course. But on your worksheet, you might just start to, to draw a bride and or her glory. When we think of the bride, we get this picture from the Apostle John. He says, I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's people, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will be with them and he will be their God. So John has this vision of a shining city coming down from heaven to earth, in which God's people are going to live with God himself present. Just like a husband and wife might set up a newly purchased house together. John compares that scene to a bride coming down the aisle at her wedding when everyone turns around and says, wow, she looks beautiful. She is dressed in the most wonderful dress. That's how John wants us to, in our minds, picture what he saw. And clearly he's on the right lines because a little later on in our passage, uh, he says, we see in verse 9, that an uh, angel comes and says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then he goes on to describe in a little more detail what that holy city looks like. And he describes it as like a precious jewel, a jasper, which is a deep, dark red jewel. So if you're... Uh, got a, you're drawing your wedding dress, perhaps you might like to sort of put a bit of red in there, perhaps. Because um, what we have here is this picture of that the holy city is only holy because of the red blood shed by the Lamb, by Jesus Christ, in order that we might be forgiven and made clean and able to be in God's presence forever. So as you draw your, your gown, that picture of wow. 
And, and maybe thinking about wedding dresses, if we have some particular ones in our minds, I thought royal dresses, they always sort of, sort of linger, don't they? So here are some pictures through the generations. There's the Queen Mother, uh, actually the Queen, uh, Princess Diana and uh, Kate and Meghan uh, in their different dresses. And uh, they all give us that picture, don't they, of this of the church on her wedding day, on our wedding day. So I wonder how, what does this picture do for you? How does it move you? And uh, when you think about this, I think it moves me in the sense of what greater honor could God bestow on his church? You know, uh, he could just have treated us as his creation or as the followers of, of Jesus or or um, perhaps when Jesus says he calls his disciples his friends, so even friends. And that does seem a, a great honor, but even greater than that is this picture of being like a husband and a wife, of being his bride. It shows us just how precious we are to him. And maybe it's a bit concluding, particularly perhaps for, for blokes who think, oh, I've got to get my right mind around the fact that I'm part of the bride, the church of Christ. But it gives us that picture of God's love for us, Jesus' love for us. And it's as if the Bible begins with how that uh, relationship broke down, but it ends with this picture of it being restored and made whole in this marriage picture. So the church then is the bride. The relationship couldn't be closer. It's one that's based upon love and upon a commitment of God to us and of us to him. So that's the first uh, picture. The second picture is that of the bridegroom and his love for the bride. So maybe you know, you've got that space there. You might like to draw a bridegroom with all this finery. Uh, George yesterday was dressed in white, head to toe, with a red shirt and a red bouquet. It was quite stunning. Uh, so what uh, color do you have your bridegroom in? Jesus has a clear sense throughout his ministry of being the bridegroom. He often spoke about how he was the bridegroom and how his disciples didn't need to fast because he was with them. And we see in this passage the bridegroom's love for his bride and that he, he wipes away the tears from his bride's eyes. Did you see that in verse 4? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Those are striking wedding presents that the bridegroom has for his bride. Darling, I'd like to give you the, the end of death, the end of suffering. All that has tainted and spoiled your life to this date will be washed away. Could any bride want for more? Could we want for more? When uh, Kate and William uh, married, they were given a very special gift I discovered this week. Uh, Clive Christian gave, him his gave them his number one Imperial Majesty edition of his perfume. And it's in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most expensive perfume. One ingredient, the Italian cinnamon rose, takes at least 170 blossoms to make one drop of oil. And the bottle, as we saw, was covered in gold and diamonds. And the glass, even the glass is made out of a material so difficult that uh, one in, um, it takes three bottles to, to make one because they all crack uh, because the material is so difficult to work. So here is a one-of-a-kind gift. It cannot be bought. It, 
And, but if you did to commission it, it would cost hundreds of thousands of pounds. And it was given as a free gift by Christian himself, Clive Christian, to the happy couple. What a gift to be given. But what gift price has Jesus given us, his wedding gift? It's priceless, isn't it? No more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more tears. And how can he do this? Well, it's because of who he is. We read that he is the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. It means he was there at the beginning of the universe. He'll be there at the end. He is God the Son. And it's because of who he is that he's able to give us such a priceless gift. But for this new order of things to come about, there are going to be those who are going to need to be refused entry into this holy city, lest they ruin it like the earth has already been ruined. And we're given that list of people in verse 8. And it's not a pretty list. It's hard to read. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. They will be consigned, we read, to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Well, that sounds pretty grim, doesn't it? It's a broad list. In fact, it's so broad that we might well think, oh dear, I think that includes me, because I've lied. I've kept quiet, perhaps when I should have spoken up. I've done things and thought vile and evil things of which I am ashamed. I've put other things before God. I've even perhaps dabbled in dark magic. What hope is there for me? I don't want to end up in this fiery lake of burning sulfur. And that's when we need to remember that the bridegroom's love for his bride is that he is able to, for all who are thirsty for forgiveness and cleansing, to give them that forgiveness and cleansing. Anyone and everyone is welcome to be in his bride, the church, if they turn away from their wrongs, which have poisoned their souls, and turn to Jesus to take the antidote, which he calls the water of life. So out of his love for his bride, Jesus doesn't force us to drink and be part of his bride. He says, look, here is the water. Here is the antidote. All are welcome to drink of it and to join my church and be my bride. They will be the ones, Jesus says, who will be victorious, who will be left standing on the day of judgment. They will inherit the holy city and live life forever in the bridegroom's presence. Isn't that wonderfully encouraging. So we looked at the bride, we looked at the bridegroom, and then there's the wedding. So I don't know, what, what ingredients do you need for a good wedding? What do you think? Cake, food, music, all sorts of things maybe. Guests. So uh, can you all fit that into that little box on your sheet? And uh, begin to think about the wedding day itself. Verse 1, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then he says, I saw the holy city coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I think one of the things you first check on receiving a wedding invitation is the date, so that you can check whether you're free to attend or not. Well, the date of this wedding between Jesus and his church is set way into the future. We're told about it now so that we can know that in following Jesus, the best is yet to come. 
We haven't been given a specific date when this will happen or how it will happen exactly. Only the assurance that this event will one day occur. It's an event we're to live in the knowledge of that it will one day happen and to prepare now because it could come tomorrow or next week or in a thousand years' time or a million years' time. And of course that can be hard because we don't know the day. We assume, don't we, that one day will just follow the other. And yet the promise here is that one day everything will change and the wedding day will arrive. Now, none of us know um, whether or when COVID will infect us like it has so many across the country. But many of us have prepared for that day by getting doubly jabbed. We've seen the danger and uh, we've thought, yes, we'll take a precaution and we're going to get ready for that eventuality. It's a wise and sensible thing to do. And it's also wise and sensible to take Jesus at his word and to keep this forthcoming day, this this wedding day, in the center of our thinking as we live. Because for the Christian, there really is something to look forward to. This vision of a wedding banquet and of meeting Jesus, the bridegroom, finally face to face, is there to encourage us to keep our sights on what lies ahead. Because the best really is before us. And that should give us all hope. Now in this life, we still experience grief and pain and tears. But one day, on the church's wedding day, all that will be past. And that helps us to endure those things here and now, because they will not last forever. The bridegroom is coming for his bride. And for those of us perhaps who would love to have been married but haven't been, or for whom our marriage has come to an end, we can be part of the marriage to which all other marriages have affordably point to. And for those of us who wouldn't, yes, call ourselves Christians, well, it's great that you're here in person or online. This passage from Jesus today, there's a warning, isn't there, for us. This wedding isn't for strangers. It's not for those who don't believe who don't take Jesus at his word. And why, after all, would you want to be with Jesus then if you don't want to be with him now? So there is a warning here. But that's not where Jesus leaves things. He leaves us all with this invitation to those who are thirsty for truth, for meaning, for purpose, for forgiveness, for peace. Come and drink without cost from the water of life. Turn away from unbelief and put your trust in Jesus, the bridegroom. And just like you would drink a large glass of cold water right down to the bottom, welcome Jesus deep into your heart and soul. Remember how Jesus said, if anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Do that. And as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, as the prophet Isaiah puts it, so will God rejoice over you. And every wedding that we attend reminds us of that wedding to end all weddings that lies ahead between Jesus and his bride, the church. It reminds us of our true value in God's eyes, of the depth of his love for us. And again, if that's how Jesus sees 
us, his bride, isn't that how we should see each other? And doesn't it help to put our squabbles and our disagreements into perspective? For how could we have a higher calling than to be the bride of the Son of God? And of that wonderful future, that eternal future that awaits us on our wedding day. So I hope you'll never lose sight of that vision that John had and shares with us. And may it fill your hearts with hope every day for the rest of your lives. Amen. Amen.